It's episode 56 of your favorite podcast about books and reading and reading culture and the written word. It's Reading Aloud. My name is Nate Cordry. I host the show. And with me, just like every other week, is Sam Kiefer. Hello, 56. Sam. 56. 56 home runs. Uh, hey, look at this old mouse. Oh, yeah. Why is this here? So Sam has an enormous um, board in front of him. And early then it, 2000s mouse someone yeah. swapped out at the he board? He has a desktop, Apple, and a laptop, uh, Apple computer, and a mouse from 1996. Here? Who brought in the mouse? Oh, you know what it is? Is that a bit? I think we're, uh, no, 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 we're uh, training a new engineer. I think it might be hers. And she brought in the mouse. Yeah. Oh, good for her using mice. Yep. That's adorable. People mm-hmm. only use trackpads now, right? Yeah, that's all we have. Yeah. Why would you use a mouse? I'm an American. Uh, Book club is two weeks away. But don't fret. You have plenty of time. Truly, this is a very brisk read. And it's beautiful. This book is so fucking good. Are you going to join us for this book club, Sam? Oh, absolutely. If you have time. It's 192 Mm -hmm. pages. It's real short, real quick. I'll probably read uh, it on air. Yeah, you can read it on air. I was thinking about that. I was like, there should be... I should do like a a back-to-back episode where I read something really, really long. But then I think... People might not want to listen to that. <laughs> I want people to listen to the show. Um, the book is called Our Souls at Night by Ken Haruf. It's less than 200 pages. Uh, read it and then be a part of the show. Send us an email at readingaloudpodcast at gmail.com or call us. Yeah, we got a voicemail. The number is 702-751-READ. That's 702-751-7323. Call us, leave a voicemail, we'll play it on the show, and uh, we'll include your thoughts with the panel's thoughts. We have a great panel for this book, too. And we're going to talk about um, this book, which is about older folks in love. Uh, My guest this week is Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. She came to the show through... A mutual friend, the great Jessica Chaffin, uh, who is one of the stars of maybe the funniest podcast out there, Rana and Beverly. Um, I've known Chaffin for about 15 years. I adore her. And whenever she suggests something to me, I, I tend to listen. And she suggested Cynthia, and I listened, and I'm glad that I did. Cynthia's first book, her debut novel, The Nest, uh, at the time of this recording— is currently number three on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, Harper Collins published it. It has been universally praised, which is fairly unique, especially for a first-time writer. The book is great. I had a blast reading. It is very fun. It's very accessible. It's really clever and funny. She has a really great command of language. And within 20 pages, you have all the central characters drawn in your mind. It's very, uh, it's very cinematic. Um, here I have, there's a very brief description of the book. So, cause we don't talk about the actual story cause there are spoilers, but, um, here's the description. Every family has its problems, but even among the most troubled, the Plum family stands out as spectacularly dysfunctional. Years of simmering tensions finally reach a breaking point on an unseasonably cold afternoon in New York as Melody, 
Beatrice and Jack Plum gather to confront their charismatic and reckless older brother Leo, freshly released from rehab. Months earlier, an inebriated Leo got behind the car wheel of a car with a 19-year-old waitress as his passenger. The ensuing accident has endangered the Plum's joint trust fund, The Nest, which they are months away from finally receiving, meant by their deceased father to be a modest midlife supplement. The Plum siblings have watched the nest's value soar along with the stock market and have been counting on the money to solve a number of self-inflicted problems. This is a story about the power of family, the possibilities of friendship, the way we depend upon one another and the ways we let one another down. In this tender, entertaining, and deftly written debut, Cynthia Dupree Sweeney brings a remarkable cast of characters to life to illuminate what money does, does to relationships, what happens to our ambitions over the course of time, and the fraught yet unbreakable ties we share with those we love. It is a great read. I highly recommend it. And she was kind enough to come in and chat about her work. Uh, the novel, her relationship with her publisher. We got into all of it. It was a really fun conversation about creativity, and I'm excited to share with you, my dear listeners. So here it is, my chat with best-selling author, Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. Here it is. <laughs> um, we were just talking about, uh, about how some people like to, especially in the world of writers and readers, uh, it people don't want to be seen as um, as having not read certain classics, right. like certain books. Right. And why is that? Does that just speak to like an insecurity about... I think it is. I think it's insecurity. I think people are worried about seeming uneducated about things that they think everyone else is educated about. Yes. But it's it's just, you know... I mean, everyone has gaps in their reading. Everyone. I have embarrassing gaps in my reading. Let's talk about some embarrassing gaps. Like Middle March, which I... Oh, boy. I, 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 it's been sitting on my desk for uh-huh. months because I yep. just feel like I, ha- I have to do this. Sure, yeah. Um, true I confession. Don't want to. I had never... Re- uh, when people started reading my book, they kept talking to me about... Um, about Edith Wharton, and I'd read The Age of Innocence and loved it, but it was the only book of hers I had read. So I went and bought, like, the, she wrote three New York novels. Oh. And, which ones are similar um, to The Nest? Now, now this is, what's the, um, the one with Lily Bart? Why can't I remember the name of it? It's super famous. And the yeah. other one is Custom of the Country. Um, I know very little about her. Yeah, well, she was great. She lived in New York, and she wrote about moneyed New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a really okay. insightful, uh, you know, sometimes kind of brutal way. Yeah, so. yeah. She has a, um, sometimes I do, I work as an actor, and sometimes I mm-hmm. spend times in the, uh, summers in the Berkshires, and mm-hmm, they have, mm-hmm. um, there's, a, there's like the Edith Wharton house. Oh, really? It's called The Mount, where Shakespeare and Company is. Oh, in that's Berkshires cool. I didn't know that. Lennox. Or... Is that like near Tanglewood? Is exactly. That... Yeah, okay. Exactly. It's like within a half hour of Tanglewood. Yeah, I've never, I've never been to that. I've been to that area, but never yeah. that performing space. It's, it was it's like her cool. country house or something. You can tour her home and wow. see like, you know, her office where oh, she Oh, that's cool. I love that. I love, I love writer's houses. Yeah. Have you been up to, um, I was talking about this on a, 
on a podcast a couple months ago, I was on a real hardcore Eugene O'Neill kick, uh-huh. which is tr- bad news. It's like a real downer. I don't. I just like get on these, <laughs> and then I like listen to a lot of Elliot Smith. I just need to fucking yeah. oh, brighten up. Yeah, yeah. That that is a that's a pretty lethal combination. I need to brighten up. Yeah. But his house, where he wrote all of his sort of classic plays that were produced after he died is in, I didn't know this. I thought he lived in New York all this time, but it's in outside of San Francisco. I didn't know that. Have you been up there? No. No. Um, it's where he lived with his last wife. He was getting sicker and sicker and he had sort of dementia and what it wasn't, I don't think a doctor actually, he, he may have had Parkinson's because he had really pronounced shakes. Right. And he had to stop. Her la- his last 10 years, he couldn't write anymore because oh. his hands were shaking too much. But he wrote um, Long Day's Journey, uh, Moon from the Misbegotten, and I feel like, and Iceman Cometh, all in the same room. Oh, wow. That's in, really cool. In San Francisco. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to check that out the yeah. next time I'm there. Yeah, I need to go up there. Supposedly, the story's about Long Day's Journey, which is basically his family. Like, he would come out of there every day just like... A fucking disaster, and his wife would have to hold him and like pat him like a baby. Anyway, oh <laughs> let's talk about right you and now, your book. Yeah, right now I I do you have a room really like that? Feeling for Mrs. O'Neill. Yeah, like that's, oh, um, that's a tough gig. That's yeah. a lot of effort. Yeah, um, <laughs> with probably very little payback. Probably not. I mean, I don't know if he was a good companion. I don't know. Uh, I think he was a downer. Yeah, he was a downer. Yeah. He wasn't abusive or anything. No, he no. was just a real drag, yeah. I yeah, think. Yeah, drag. Yeah, he was a big drag. Do you go by Cynthia Sweeney or Cynthia, and I don't know how to pronounce it. Dupree. The, Dupree. Oh, yeah. that's pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, do you go by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney or Cynthia, yeah, Cynthia Sweeney? Yeah, I have been for this, for these promotional purposes. Yeah, tell me about, I have a lot of questions, but okay. I, <laughs> the first thing I want to ask, I'll jump around here, but okay. I, um. Uh, 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 the book tour experience I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by because you spend so much time by yourself creating a piece of fiction and then all of a sudden with this private thing which has only been in your brain and out through your fingers yes. all of a sudden becomes revealed to millions of people yeah. and then you have to confront them yeah. in, in uh, independent bookstores it's a, it's a you know the 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 bookstore thing isn't bad at all because so far everyone's just been lovely and polite and interesting and I but you know most of them at this <laughs> point haven't read I'm mostly standing in front of a group of people who haven't read the book yet right um, I'm starting to do some events where like book groups are coming so Fun. I'm not sure book if that clubs. will be you know a little different. But um, the strangest thing for me is, as you said, writing a book is an unbelievably solitary pursuit. And for a long, long time, it's just you and the book. And then, and then it's like you and your editor and the publishing house in the book. And th- but then it just leaves. It just yeah. leaves. And it goes out into the world. And what's been really, really hard for me is um, how public I am with the internet. Yeah. And like people can just tweet things they don't like at me and I like I think if you're a performer like if you're in that space maybe you're used to that but I it was completely shocking to me and I very very quickly stopped reading everything about the book or about me everything how how quickly um like a week before it it came out actually so who was was it was uh like I would get an email every day from my publicist saying you know here are links to oh fuck like all the reviews and all of the and 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 even though, 
really 99% of it was great. But even in a good review, you can find something that gets under your skin a little bit. Or I would just immediately read a great review and think, well, that person's dumb. And (laughs) Oh, I can't wait to get into this. We have so much to talk about. Um, My guest, by the way, (laughs) I haven't even introduced you yet, is uh, Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. She's a writer. She's a novelist. Her debut novel, The Nest, debuted at number three. It on the did. New York Times bestseller list. Mm-hmm. Holy fuck. Uh, Amazon chose it as one of the best books of March. Enormous praise from Goodreads, Barnes & Noble, Kirkus or Kirkus Review? Kirkus. Kirkus Review. Uh, Entertainment Weekly, Publishers Weekly, The New York Times, LA Times, Oprah Magazine. People chose it as a book of the week. I could go Making on for- my mother very, very I happy. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I could go on forever, but how are you able to keep your grip on the universe with all of these this shower of praise falling down on you and well, yet I we did, just yeah i mean i felt i felt like um i you know i was was getting all this stuff from my publicist and at first it's really exciting yeah and but i it just it was very it became very overwhelming and i was very anxious before the book came out and I just felt like I can't be I can't be reading this stuff. I can't have it in my head. Yeah. I can turn anything positive into a negative. Yeah. I take in the negative and it really like mm-hmm. and and you know, so much so much of sometimes of what people are writing at the very beginning. Um, they're recycling stuff that they read on the internet that isn't even true. And then that drives me crazy. Like how come uh. this fact in the universe can't get corrected? And yeah. so it just I just I stopped reading it and it all went to my agent and then it went to my husband and that was great. He was with me in New York the week the book came out. I was in I was in New York and Boston and then back here in LA and he had, took that week off and he traveled with me. And that was kind of fun because they put him in the email loop and so he really bonded with my publishing team at Echo. Wow. And he would just sort of say, um, he doesn't tell me much because I also feel like you know, if you allow yourself to feed off the good, you power yeah, the bad. Absolutely. So I just feel absolutely. like it really has to be either or. So every once in a while, he'll just say like, you're hanging in on Amazon or um, there was something really nice in the Washington Post, you know, but I but I don't look at it. But doesn't it. that scratch, isn't that dangerous that he's even feeding you even an inch of something because it scratches that itch of like, they said something good? Ooh, and it sort of yeah, I don't, and excites. I don't. You know, I I just know better now. I just know it's yeah. not going to make. It's like it's like downing a huge thing of cotton candy. It, yeah, it, you feel terrible seven yeah, yeah, yeah. minutes afterwards. It's yeah. just not fun. Yeah, and and really, in those first few weeks of book tour, I just felt like I can't have all these voices in my head. It's a it's a weird thing to have other people's thoughts about something that is very personal to me, but is no longer mine, which is fine. That's the whole point of yeah. publishing. Yeah. But you sort of have to separate yourself. And I realized that the interesting conversations for me to be involved in are with readers. But yeah, yeah, yeah. critics are writing for their audience. And yeah. I'm not part of I'm not part of that conversation. Right. So for me to try and inject myself in it is just kind of a losing um, proposition. So. I, I can't imagine someone who's writing like a memoir or something about. Oh, I, I can't either. Even more like painfully personal get torn apart by outsiders who yeah. get a hold of this and get to yeah. you know view any sort of and I'm and I'm not I read an interview with Lauren Groff that was really great and and she reads nothing but she also said um 
maybe someday I'll read some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can't right now. Like, nope. the book is still too tender to me. And I thought that was the perfect way to describe it. Like, I don't have a callus built up around any yeah, of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. You yeah, know? it's too tender. And and the other thing is, I it's not like I had a slow ramp up. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. which I'm not complaining about. No, but no, no. It is a no. little bit like it's like seven, someone pushing you out of an, yeah. you know, pushing you out of an airplane and saying, yep. "Pull the chute, yeah, yeah, yeah. enjoy." Yeah, <laughs> like seven barges full of fireworks all get lit off yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I oh god, I could talk about this for days. My my um, I the first time as an actor I was reviewed in a play, I made the mistake of reading it, mm-hmm. and it was bad, and it was like. It, it felt like almost like a physical, personal attack on me, be, like right. of how I looked, and and I'm, you know, whatever. If you're putting yourself out there as a creative person, you that's this is just part of the right. deal. People get to say, right. I like what you're doing, and I don't like what you're doing. Right. Um, that's just part of the transaction. Right. Uh, but but I was I still had to do. I still had to do this play every night. Right. It wasn't like, it was like a movie and I couldn't, it's like, well, I can't fucking change it now. Right. And then I had it in my head and there was an, there was an older actor in the, um, in the company who gave me the exact advice that you just said. If you take the, the good, you have to take the other side. Right. So don't take any of it. Exactly. Because it'll only sabotage you. Yeah. And also I feel like only reading the good things, like I don't want to live in an echo chamber. You know, of just sometimes I want to live in an echo chamber. (laughs) That's true. Maybe I do want to live in an echo chamber. It seems like it's cool and warm. Wait, why don't I want to live in an echo chamber? That's the bigger conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, but I think it does get in your head, and I want to get into um, writing something new as soon as possible. And so those voices just aren't helpful to that process because you're full of so much doubt. Oh God! You know. Truly, there's nothing no one could ever write about me that is worse than things I've thought about myself. Absolutely. I have enough. I I beat myself up enough. And you and I have a lot in common. Um, I I, I wonder, when do you get to that? This is an enormous question, but it's in the same vein of where we're surfing right now. How do you get to a place where you say that you have enough you're saying it to yourself, I am a writer. I deserve to do this. I'm not going to listen to those fucking voices who say, you're not a writer. You didn't go to this school. You don't have that. You didn't accomplish this, this, whatever the voices say. When, how do you beat those voices and get to the point where you say, I am a writer. I am doing this and this is going to happen. I, I don't know that you ever get to the point where you believe that experience, but I think you just write every day. And if you've spent, if you spend part of every day and I spend, you know, not these days, but when I'm in my regular life, I spend most of every day working on something that I'm writing. And so at the end of the day, then you have spent your day being a writer and, and that, you know, that kind of quiets it, but that. You know that imposter feeling. I don't think it yeah. ever goes away. Well, then let's go back to the, the, the like the beginning, the foundation, the first the, when you started to get into a habit. And I don't know if this was two years ago, five years ago, or twenty years. ago. I can ago. tell you exactly when it was. Tell me. I went back to graduate school in 2011 to get my MFA, 
And, Bennington. Yes. Yeah. And that, and one of the reasons I really wanted to do a program like that was because I knew that if I wanted to write fiction, which is so self-directed and so solitary, that I had to have a, support. A, 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 yes, and a writing habit. And that the amount mm. of work I was going to have to generate over two years was going to force me to develop that habit. And it did, because when I first started the program, I couldn't write at home. I had to leave the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get and, you, too. Um, and then... Starting at the very end of it was my thesis term. And you're not only working on your thesis, but you're working on a lecture. And I had a lot of research for my lecture. So one day I was like packing up, you know, to go to the library, to go to a coffee shop. And I was packing up all these books and my computer. And I couldn't par find parking when I got there. And I just thought, what am I doing? Like, I, I have an office. And no one's home at my house all day. My kids are older, you yeah. know. So I forced myself during that term to work at home and to learn how to shut down the distractions of my house. And I disconnect from the internet and, um, you know, I do stupid things like closing the office doors and tying something around so that, because you just unconsciously, like I like to pace like yeah. I would just get up and start pacing around the downstairs and then notice that, you know, the kitchen counter was dirty yeah, and then yeah, yeah. I need to unload the dishwasher, you know, so. Um, I can't talk on the phone without walk. I can't sit and talk neither. on the phone. Me neither. I can't. I can't do it. Yeah. It freaks me out. Yeah. But so did you have to go to, to the campus at Bennington or was this you go, all It's a distance? low residency program. So you go twice a year. You go at the beginning of the semester for 10 days and you live there for 10 days and you meet your new teacher for the semester and you go to lectures and workshops and readings. It's like really dreamy. And, yeah. um, and did you then, go to the Blue Bend for breakfast? Yes. Sure. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then you spend the rest of that term corresponding with your teacher. And it's different for different teachers, but for most teachers, you are mailing in every four weeks new work or revised work, and you write about what you're reading as well. And then they write a letter Whoa. back to you. And it's this very kind of quaint, old-fashioned, cool, very intimate experience. And it's I, it's it's great. I can't say enough good things about it. So you would... You would you build this package that you had to send mm -hmm. to Bennington. You would go to the post office, you drop it off. Mm -hmm. So was there so much anticipation when the mail truck drove up to deliver oh, your, yeah. the package back yeah, to yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah. So what, so you have so the package is returned. Mm -hmm. What hap where do you what happens next? Uh, well, you open it up and you usually read the where letter. Do you do, where do you do this? I'm assuming you lock yourself in your office. Or do you do it in the open with the kids and stuff? Maybe I wouldn't even want to take it into the office right away. Okay. <laughs> I would I would skim the letter really fast just to get the gist of it. Yeah. Because it's, you know, like it takes a little bit to be receptive to very specific feedback. And then some people <sighs> would mark up your pages, some wouldn't. Um, it, but it was all it was all really great. Was Brady Easton Ellis wandering around when you were there? <laughs> no. Thank goodness. Maybe his ghost was. Yeah, that guy yeah. seems like a spooky ghost. He was like ghost. passed out in the cemetery or something. Yeah. Like yeah, he has some horrible relationship with Bennington. They asked him for two, I don't know. He was on the Mark Maron podcast and he was insufferable, as you can imagine. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I, I yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm not a fan of yeah. his vibe. Yeah, well, yeah, it takes a very specific <clears throat> kind of person to be a fan of that vibe because that yeah. vibe is a lot. It's a lot. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll keep it. We'll keep. I'm sure, you would not be a fan of my vibe either. So, I think we're. Um, I don't I, think, I think he's a. Fa safe. He's. I don't think he's like a fan. I. I think that's probably right. You yeah. know. 
Like he's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, who cares? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the novel is called The Nest. It's fucking wonderful. Oh, thank I you. I flew through this fucking thing. Oh, good. Like it was so fucking fun. And even just like being a person who, I, I don't I spent a lot, I lived in New York for seven years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've seen these people mm-hmm. in the streets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that doesn't mean you have to like spend time in New York to enjoy the story. But uh, it was like, it was the word, this is so lame, but like it was, uh, I'm embarrassed to even say it, but say it. Delicious. Oh, I like that like, word. Like I just wanted to keep eating it because good. it was so fucking fun. But don't eat it. It doesn't actually taste good. Uh, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> if I want to eat this book, I will. This, w- this book was sent to me. And you put a little post-it note. You said, since I don't, this is on the title page, since I don't know you yet, uh, I'm guessing you don't mind if I give you the one (laughs) which I screwed up the inscription. (laughs) Now, I'm assuming it says for Brett. And I'm guessing because I did a little bit of research, this is for Brett Anthony Johnston, who was a guest on my podcast like a year ago. You're kidding. I didn't know that. Yes. Yes. We are podcasting friends. Yeah. we actually, I emailed him like a year ago and I was, he was going to come out here and we we're supposed to have dinner or I was supposed to have dinner in Cambridge or something, but it didn't happen. He's such a great guy. He seems like he's the greatest. Really, he's the greatest. Okay. He's the greatest. You wrote, um, uh, you scribbled it out. <laughs> I did, but you can read through it. Uh, for Brett. Um, <laughs> I can't believe this is great. love, affection, and boundless gratitude. Parentheses, especially for chapter 13. And then you just stopped. Because I wrote the wrong chapter. It's like chapter 12 or something. Um, But you didn't want to cross out 13 and write 12. No, I wanted it to be pristine. Okay. So I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you the story about Brett in this book. Great. So um, <laughs> Brett was my thesis advisor at Bennington. Oh. And uh, I had already been in his workshop and we had, were already friends. And um, I gave him, uh, we, right right away, he said, you know, send, start sending me stories that you're going to use for your thesis. And I sent him two. And about one of them, I, I said, this is a complete mess. I've been working on it for a few months. I don't know what to do with it. It's like 37 pages of a beginning and no middle and a really bad ending. And, but, I, but I really love it. I feel like it's my favorite thing I've written, mm. but I don't, know how to, I don't know how to fix it. Mm-hmm. And um, he called me up and said, I don't think this is a story. I think it's the beginning of a novel. And I think you just, like, this is literally chapter one. And you just start, keep going from here. And what do you feel about just working on this, your thesis term? Which is not ordinarily what you do. You ordinarily work on stuff you've already written. Um, Yeah. And, but I really trusted him. I knew that we have similar thoughts about writing, that our processes were very similar, that we read in the same way, and that he was in the last weeks of finishing Remember Me Like This, and I just knew that he was going to, like, brain dump everything Mm. he'd figured out about how to write a novel. Mm. And we spent the next three or four months, I had to get 125 pages written. And, um, Holy shit. But it was great because when I graduated, I had a I had 125 right. pages of a novel in progress. Right. And he read the first draft when it was finished. And in that draft, uh, the character B. Plum was a poet. And hmm. he had raised 
concerns <laughs> prior to that, that that was not, not enough. the correct choice for her. The yeah. stakes weren't high enough. Yeah. And, and we talked about how it could work. And I, you know, I, I, I did all the things we talked about, and he read the first draft, and he said, uh, it's still not working. She, I really don't think she can be a poet. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's when, um, you know, wow. through a series of conversations with him, um, I sort of hit on, uh, well, she had, that she was, had been, had very early success as a short story writer and that she was writing about her brother. And once I started revising the book within that new context for her, the whole book just like lifted up. Mm. And so the chapter I'm trying to thank him for is the one where she goes to the publishing party. Um, oh, you know, so, <laughs> but I put the wrong number in so that, yeah, no, I had to give him a clean chapter 12. Thank you. Um, so when he, when, you, when he said, I think this is an awful, what is it? And I'm sure it's changed a million times since then, but it is, what, what was he talking about? What it is actually now chapter one? Yes. Holy um, cow. It was, a, it was like the four siblings meeting for lunch in the oyster bar. Whoa. I mean, it went through many, many changes. Of course, since of course, then. of course. But, it, but it, basically the, the setup and the characters were all there. And the other thing is, wow. and, and I, I like telling this story because it's just so important to have people in your life who are doing the thing you want to do and who you admire and who you trust um, be really encouraging. Yes. And he said to me that day, I don't want to freak you out, but if you can keep this up for 300 pages, someone will publish this book. And I thought about that all the time when I was having a bad day, or I just thought I, I was spinning, felt like I was spinning my wheels, oh. and I just thought because he's not a bullshitter, and he yeah. would never be. He's he's not a teacher who gets off on humiliating people yeah. at all. Um, he would always find a way to say something positive, but he's also not a bullshitter. So I so I believed him. Have you told him that many times? This episode is brought to you by. Loot Crate. Loot Crate is a monthly subscription box service for epic mm. geek and gamer items mm. and pop culture gear. Mm. For less than 20 bucks a month, you get four to eight items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, and unique one-of-a-kind items and more. So make sure to head to go. Make sure you head to go. Ooh. Yeah. Make sure you head to go to lootcrate.com slash Nate. Enter code Nate and save three bucks on any new subscription. They always guarantee at least $40 in value in every crate. And there's a huge community where all their fans get online, they share their experiences, and interact with each other with the unboxing of each month's crate. The previous crates have been uh, Star Wars, Marvel, Walking Dead-themed, Legend of Zelda, many more. And this uh, month's May... uh, uh, I got one, and it had a live baby in it. No, it didn't. Yes, it did. That's against the rules. Mm-hmm. May is Blockbuster Movie Month. Um, we get something for you to carry, something for your kitchen, a cool figure to go with our monthly tea and pin uh, featuring two Marvel items. Plus, plus, just, mm. oh, plus yeah, uh, Warcraft and Dragon Ball Z. Uh, no crate should have all this power. Remember, you only have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. So go to lootcrate, L-O-O-T-C-R-A-T-E dot com slash Nate, enter code Nate, and save three bucks on your subscription today.
one of my questions about specifically about the story was when did you come and maybe this you've already answered this um it's so clever to introduce all the characters by what they drink and where they drink. <laughs> right. There's a million ways to descri- to introduce a character to an audience, how they are dressed, where they are, who they are, who they're, how they're talking, who they're talking to, uh, whatever, plug in a million different mm-hmm. things. But with you, you bounce around to each member of the family and describe where they want to drink, why, and what they drink. Right. Did that come to, was that there when Brett... Read uh-huh. it. Yes. How did? Where did that come from? Um, it's this is a rare instance where I where I actually remember the moment it came to me because I had wanted to write a short story about adult siblings because I'm just fascinated with them and I was sort of yeah. playing around with a few things and nothing was really sticking and I was going I I w- my son and I had been uh, touring colleges I was in New York City we I was mm. going to brunch to meet my family. It was the weekend of a freak October snowstorm. <laughs> and um, while I was walking to brunch, I saw all these people having drinks. And I just had an image of family members who are about to get together and are dreading seeing one another. And they're all like, it was very cinematic. It was mm. like they'd all be drinking on four separate corners. Mm. And then walk out at the time when they're all supposed to meet and see that they were all mm. coming from different bars. Yeah. So that was just the the picture in my mind. How and wonderful. then I kind of like let it percolate yeah. for a couple of months. And so when I sat down to write the story, I thought about, oh, where would be a cool place where you have all different types of bars in close proximity. Mm-hmm. And and I thought about Grand Central right away. And that was really and so then that was really fun because I love Grand Central. Yeah. And I love, you know, all the various places or like how different Yeah. You know, all worlds collide there. Absolutely. And yeah. so it's like um, the lobby of a hotel yeah. in Las so Vegas. So it was really I, I think again, a rare moment in writing that where this story came pretty easily mm. because I had given myself that unbelievably fertile place to yeah. write about, you know? You used the word cinematic. Were there other aspects of the book that came to you sort of cinematically? Like you saw it, you saw the film in your head running or did it, did it come out there in are, the moment? There, when- are, there are a few scenes that, yeah, there are a few scenes and I, I can't, a lot of them are at the end, and I don't want to say what they are because sure. they're... Um, Things happen um, towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a scene on the ferry, a ferry dock that came to me very cinematically. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so, and I think the prologue felt very movie-like to me. Yeah, 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 for sure. When I was writing it. For sure. Uh, it wasn't always the prologue of the book, but it became even, I think it became even more... Um, I really wanted it to feel like someone was sort of walking around a wedding reception. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a bunch of questions that I want to ask about um, about your act, like the work of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe to me like the perfect day? Yes. Of writing, what does that look like? Okay, I. It, it starts with me sleeping through the night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the night before. Uh huh. Um, and then, what prevents you from sleeping? I don't know. I'm just not a great sleeper. Okay. So, um, and I generally get up and I try and do some form of exercise and kind of like you know get showered and dressed like I'm going to an office. I try and treat it very 
work like. And I don't tend to schedule things during my work hours, which are basically up until three o'clock in the afternoon. And I'll sit down and I'll write for an hour or two. If I'm writing new stuff, I usually can't go for longer than an hour or two. If I'm in revision, I can write for much longer. Typing on a computer? mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And then once I feel like I'm done with the writing portion of the day, I do research, I take notes, I read for the book. If it's going really, really well while I'm doing all that, I will be reopening the document and maybe doing some more revisions or writing some more or taking more notes or moving things around. So that's kind of... But I mean, some days, especially when you're into a really long project like a novel, there are mornings where all I do is sit and look at my... I have post-it notes of all the chapters and those big 3M sticky sheets. And I'm just sort of sitting there looking at everything, trying to figure stuff out. So all of this, so the majority of this book, perhaps all of it was written in one room? Yes, I did. I did. I I did write in some libraries. You did? Yeah. Like when my family goes to Maine every year and I, like when I was really trying to finish the first draft, I would go to a local library for a few hours each morning. And I, and I, and I wrote some of it at the Los Feliz library. Oh, wow. Where in, where in Maine? Uh, New Harbor. It's New on Harbor. the uh, near Damariscotta, on the Pemaquid Peninsula. It's about an hour north of Portland. Oh, okay, okay. I basically like only know Portland and past that. It's Portland sort of, is great. Portland is awesome. Yeah. Do you want to go halfsies on a house on Great Diamond <laughs> Island? Sure. All right. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> I literally looked at houses there last year because I was like, I, I can't afford to buy a house in Los Angeles. That, that's right. that's insane. So why don't I spend a quarter of the money and get a house on an island? Yeah. Why not? Do you know John Hodgman? I've met John, but I don't know John. He has a house up much farther north, and he's always trying to get us to yeah. uh, buy a property up there. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. dude, you live in New York. I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little it's tougher a, to get on a, a plane yeah. to get to go to JetBlue to Boston, Boston to Portland. Yeah. Well, you can, you can go to Portland, I guess, JetBlue from L.A. to Portland. Yes. Um, but then it's another, I'm assuming, couple-hour yeah. drive from there. I, I, what uh, I, we're going off topic, but did you have? Are you from New England? Or? No, no. My my um, my mom and dad uh, rented this little cottage in Maine one summer, sort of on a whim. I was ten, and we all loved it so much that uh, we started going back every year. Whoa. They still they still rent that same little place uh, for three weeks in August, and then my brothers and sister and I. We don't make it every year, but we make it most years. You split it, sort of? No, we we rent different houses in the same area. Oh, so, like, my gotcha. sister and I will rent a house together. She has a couple of kids. I have a couple of kids. My brother will rent a house, you know. So, we all, and my cousin now owns a house up there. So, we all sort of try and get there at some point cool. in August. Yeah, it's cool. Fun. Do you go down to Portland to eat well and see a ball game? No, or no? because it's just like Too once far. you're there, it's, yeah. So, you're on the water. Yes. Oh, man, that sounds amazing. It's really nice. How far from, um, oh, Camden? It's south of Camden. Okay. So, okay. so you're not that far out. No. Okay. We talked about Maine. <laughs> um, I had a question about uh, research. So this, was such, this is the tiniest thing, but it was in the prologue, and I was like, I, it just it tr- triggered something in my brain. Um, and maybe you have past experience as a caterer 
Maybe not, but there's, um, so, uh, it, there's a, uh, the things that are being passed right. at the party. Right. Um, and fending off Leo in the pantry was marginally more interesting than wrapping asparagus with prosciutto in the kitchen. I, I guess if you go to parties, you know that that's something that gets passed around. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was a very like, small, specific detail. And I wondered, are there other instances in this book where you needed to write about something that you didn't have personal experience with mm-hmm. and got lost on the internet for a day. Oh. <laughs> How often does that happen? Constantly. Every day, right? Constantly. Like, I got to know what kind of car this person yes. would drive. So what kind of car in 19, right. what, you know? like. But, I mean, you know, that's not a waste of time. I mean, you have to, you know, yeah. some of it's a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> but... If you come out of that with one really good detail, right, right. it you know it works. Like, how and do you determine when it? Like, how does your brain regulate? You're like, uh, okay, this is I'm wasting my time. I'm putting off. I'm procrastinating. I need to get back to doing this work, as opposed to going, oh no, this is gonna this is gonna lead to a nugget that's gonna make this page explode. I I think I always feel that when I'm not writing, I'm wasting time, but I'm trying to get over that feeling because yeah. it is. It is just exploration and research is work. And sometimes you're going down that internet hole and you just think, oh, I've got the information I need. What am I doing? But then some great hmm. thing will appear that will give you all this richness yeah. you know, to what you're writing. And, um, and then it, you know, it happens in layers too. Like the first draft tends not to have nearly as much detail, or at least when I'm writing, mm. as the later ones do. Because mm-hmm. when you're, you know, and some of it is, it's a little too early to be obsessing over those details. That's procrastination. Like, you're not even sure right. what the story is yet. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. even sure if those pages are going to last. Right. So, you know, I, I do try and be disciplined and, and sort of not get carried away with research until I'm pretty sure what's there is going to stay there. You need the skeleton first before you're talking yeah. about eyelashes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I read, uh, I'm jumping around here, but uh, my listeners love books. They love to read. But I think a lot of them, from the emails that I've gotten and from the ones that I've interacted with personally, they also, some of them are aspiring writers. Mm-hmm. Um and I'd like to ask questions about how writers physically, like the nuts and bolts, like how they create their mm-hmm. work. Um, I love Stephen King for a million different reasons, but perhaps the most is his book on writing, which to me is I know, like— I I haven't read it. I'm, you I, would love it. I know. Everyone loves that book. And I, I started reading it when I was working on this book, and I found that I, I couldn't read things about writing while I was working on the book. Sure. Totally, But totally. maybe I'll read it today. Um, I'm not even kidding. Uh, it's so... I, he's just... He is just, like, so accessible. Yes. And just demystifies everything. He's, he's lucid about writing, you know? Yeah. And, 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 I mean, I've read... I've heard him talk about writing, and I've read other things he's he's um, written about writing. And I, and I think it's... And people have talked to me about this book, so I yeah. hope I'm right when I say that he, you know, doesn't teach it, uh, treat it like it's a mystery or like no. some gift, something you're imbued with, so which is like such, like that, 
Like I just go crazy when I hear writers talking that way. It's such, it's just alien. It's so, it's why people uh, don't write. Yes. Because that bullshit is in their fucking yeah. head and it is the absolute yeah. worst. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he only brings real tangible, um, accessible examples of like how to be a writer and right. that it's not get the fuck out of your own way. <laughs> That's his like. Which is 90% almost, of yeah, it. which is almost impossible <laughs> to do. Um, uh, how will you change your writing with your second novel? What, what, what mistakes do you not want to make again? And, and what successes will you repeat? I, I will not construct a book that has 10 point of view characters. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing that again. Sure. Okay. Um, maybe keep it like fates and furies just two. Yeah. Boy and a girl. Yeah. That's it. H- having lunch like that's, um, yeah. But other than that, I don't, I mean, I, I don't want to repeat myself. I, I, I want to write you know, I want to, um, that would just be boring to me. I want to write something a little totally. structurally different, maybe, um, you know, tonally a little different, but I don't, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet. I haven't spent enough time writing post this book yeah. to know. Is there, do you have sort of like built in creative fear because this book has been such an enormous success so immediately that you wonder that you fear that second book not living up to what the first book has become or does that not exist well it does but I'm trying not to pay attention to it because um that part of it is kind of out of my hands yeah yeah. all I can do is work hard yeah and write something that I feel good about and what happens to it once I send it out into the world, I just don't have any control you over that. You have no control. No. Yeah. Something that my therapist tells me, which I, I often repeat to all my friends, yes. is that um, it's, it's, well, you can't control how other people think of you, but he says, it's none of your business what other people think right. of you, which I just right. think is, I'm assuming right. that's repeated in therapists' office but it's all a good, across. But it's a good thing to remind yourself of. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Especially when what other people think of you is is very easily accessible <laughs> if you yeah. care to Just chase yourself of- around the internet all day. <laughs> yeah. 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 Chase yourself around the internet. Um, in prepping this interview, I read a bunch of other interviews that you'd given, and each one brings up your advance. Isn't it? I mean, can I swear on this? Show? Yes, of course. This is, yeah. I mean, isn't it kind of fucked That's up? That's fucked up. And it's, and you know, and, and the people who are interviewing you are fucking writers themselves. It's I, like, I know. you're wearing it on your fucking, like, you're exposed, dude. Like, you, that's something you can it's, have your own um, thought about. I, 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 it's, and it's been brought up in reviews. And I think that's when I stopped reading reviews. Oh, I was fuck just like, off. you know what? I don't, I don't know. It's such an odd thing. And I, <sighs> I'm stunned every time someone, like, just asks a question about it in a very matter-of-fact, like, so yeah. what's it like, yeah. you know? How much money do you have? Yes, like, I'm What? Yeah, like, like, most people get to go through their lives keeping that private. Yeah. And almost and you get every to writer does. Yeah, right, and, right. And I just, 
It's just, it's such a crazy thing. And I've actually stopped answering questions about it. Good. And I um, had a conversation with my publicist last week because some, like a bunch of questions from some blog came in. And the first one. Wow. And, and I said to her, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Like every time someone Googles me and sees that I'm still politely deflecting, they're just going to keep asking. Wow. So I'm just going to refuse to answer those questions anymore. I literally wrote, is that gauche? I was like, yes, that's nuts. It's so, so rude. How, so then how it's do like they- It's such bad manners. So then how do they get the okay to do that? Like, is it hidden under like, well, I I'm a journalist. No, I'm, no I, I, don't think, I don't think anyone, I mean, I would guess they just think- so what? She got a ton of money. Why should she, you know, why should she not be willing? I don't know. I, I don't feel like know. it's their own insecurity as writers that is that is forming, that's completely informing this interview that they're giving. That yeah, they're, but I, and, and I, but the, like the, the unfair part about it to me, well, the hard thing about it is I do wish there was more transparency in the publishing world. I wish people understood. yeah realistically how, how what it's like works. yeah how the yeah. math works and but i'm a terrible example <laughs> i i yes. am not i am not the poster child for let me tell you how much time you're going to spend writing and how little money you're going to make right. i am this crazy weird exception and i don't under, and i don't even understand why so yeah. um so i have nothing useful to say about it and it has no bearing yeah, no on shit. my book as a reader. It's not like my book costs more money because they paid me more money. Yeah, yeah. And like, like uh, there are people who have just written about the book, but they spend the first three paragraphs writing about their complicated feelings about big advances. And I'm like, that has nothing to do. Like that's a that's an article about the publishing industry. I had nothing to do with that. I was the very lucky, grateful recipient of it, and I'm trying to be a good steward of my good fortune, but it has nothing to do with my book as a reader, but it does it but it does put a target on the book. It's so fucked. Uh, I couldn't I I was trying to think of like other mediums where this would be an appropriate question to ask. And I I couldn't like a musician like how much like or an actor, yeah. or any sort of creative person, I was like, when is that? I mean, athletes, I guess it's very public. Right. But that's part, that's been established since since contracts were signed. Right. Um, because fans are fanatical about the every aspect of, uh, of a, a sports team. But even then, you don't ask, you don't go like, how are you spending your money, famous right. athlete? Right. I, I and if you, I don't know, it just, it so turned me off. And I was like, I don't, yeah. how do you fucking no. ask those questions? It's a, it's a it, yeah. Uh, it was so weird. Anyway, it, it jumped out of me. It was like, this is very well, you're fucking. A, you're a, you're a very mature person <laughs> in a way that lots of other people are not. It just seemed strange. Um, what is, um, is there, because I don't, I, I'm not a writer, so I don't understand the relationship between, um, a writer and an editor, is there push and pull or do you, does everything that the editor, do you, do you accept every note that they give you or is it something no, that is negotiated? And I mean, I, you know, I think the relationship depends a lot on the people involved, but I, I think my sense is that with fiction anyway, 
the editor can ask for things, but the final call is always yours as the writer. Always? I think so, no yeah. No shit. Yeah. Even for a first-time novelist. I think so. That's I mean, badass. I mean, I think that if, um, you know, when your book is out on submission, you're, you are talking to the editors who are interested in it, and they give you a pretty solid sense of how much work they think the book needs. Mm. So I think that if someone God. felt very strongly that major changes needed to be made, you would have that conversation before you were actually working to, you know, before an offer was accepted or given. And you would go into that, you know, pretty much understanding what you had to do. I knew um, that my editor didn't want a lot of changes, but that she wanted some changes. And I agreed with most of her suggestions. And Mm. the ones that I didn't, we just talked through. And very, I think, you know, very often, um, Hmm. you know, I, she, one of the things that I heard from most of the editors I spoke with were people were not sure that Vinny deserved the space in the book that I gave to him and had some reservations about um, the Tommy character as well. Because it pulled, pulled focus from... Yeah, and, and well, and in the version that they were reading um, was slightly different from the final draft. And what I realized after I heard people talk about it was... That I that I knew how to fix it, but it but the fix wasn't to cut those people out of the book. Hmm. It, but I, hmm. I, I I I started to understand from listening to many people try and articulate why they weren't sure, yeah. and what they thought, and I didn't agree with anyone's fix. But I started to think, oh, I know I know what the fix is, and so Megan Lynch, my editor, uh, who I adore. Um, so she and I talked it through, and when I made those changes and sent it to her, she said, "Great, I yes, he, huh. he, you know, in this version, they both belong. Yeah, They've, you know, they have earned their pages. Yeah. So. Um, where does this is an enormous question? Mm-hmm. Um, where does the desire to write, to tell stories, like originate? Is this something that's in in your blood, like, do you have parents or grandparents who? Yeah, I mean, my dad's a writer. He's a nonfiction writer. He's a he was a management consultant. He's retired now. He was a management consultant. He wrote books. But we grew. I, I grew up in a house where everyone read, and everyone Lucky was a you. storyteller. So, oh. you know, the dinner table was really a place where every at the end of the day, where everyone wanted to tell a funny story about what had happened. Or talk about wow. what had happened during the day. Wow. And that was just my family dynamic. That's unique. And um, and so I think certainly it starts there. But I have loved books and reading from the minute I was old enough to read. Wow. So. Who do you like? Who are you reading these days? What contemporary authors are you drawn to and sort of find inspiration um, from? Well, I really love Tessa Hadley. I don't know if you've read anything no. by her. Um she, she's someone, I'm trying to think, I've been reading a lot of books lately that aren't coming out yet uh, uh-huh. for a few months, uh-huh. which like a, the, a perk of being a writer is getting yeah. c- copies. I love them. So I'm trying to think of who I've read um, in the past year. Oh, The London Train I've heard of. Clever yeah. Girl, The she Past. Just, the Past was the most recent one. She has a lot of stories in The New Yorker too. Yeah. Um, and I really like those. And um, 
you know, I'll read anything by Alice Munro. I like Me Alice too. McDermott. I, I love Ian is. McEwen. I yeah. love... Um, you know, The Corrections was a huge influence on me oh. for this book. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I love Lauren Groff. Um, yeah. You know, kind of the you sort of the usual literary sure. fiction sure. suspects. Do you like um, Andre Debuse? I do, yes. I yeah. Fucking, yeah. There are elements Amazing. of, there are elements of uh, oh, I'm very flattered to hear you well, say that. Well, I, I think specifically maybe because of the type of people that Andre Debuse writes about, but there's a lot of, um, like I saw Leo fitting perfectly into yeah. Dirty Love. Mm-hmm, uh, did mm-hmm. you read that? The I don't his, know if I did read that. It came out like two years ago. It was like three novellas all oh, based. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I have it and I haven't read it yet. Oh, God, it's so good. It's terrible. I mean, I have so many books that I haven't. Yeah, just sure. like sitting in a huge stack. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you like Parada? Do you like Tom Parada? Yes, I do. I do. I love him so yeah, much. Yeah, he's I, great. I go on and on about him on this podcast and my I, listeners I think are quite bored. the book the book election is mm. absolutely brilliant and undervalued because the movie yeah. is just so, so popular stunning. and really great. Yeah. But going, I read, I went back and read that book a couple of years ago and it is so economical. Like what, huh. it, it, it seems so simple. Yeah. The language and the style and the chapters and the, you know, the rotating voice. That's why I read it, but it's so, he does, he does so much. Mm. Using so little. Yeah. It, it's, it's a small universe. It's yes. such a small world that he yeah. builds. Yeah. Do you like Jeffrey Eugenides? Yeah, I like Jeffrey Eugenides. I Eugenides? Do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got it right. I yeah. can't pronounce his name yeah. correctly. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Mar- the marriage plot, I think, is. I love the marriage plot. Oh, God. Yeah. I want to read it again, actually. Yeah. I, and that, that was another one I went back to a lot while I was writing The Nest mm-hmm. um, to figure Switching out how he, like, Points you know, view. went back and forth, right, and yeah. sort of moved through time, and yeah. yeah. Do you like Stuart Onan? Onan? I have never read anything by Stuart Onan. I've tried twice, and I get twenty-five pages in, and I'm like, I, I can't, I can't dig it. I haven't, I, I have never read anything, um, but I know, I have friends who are huge admirers, hmm. but yeah. Uh, yeah. Something's happening in my brain where I just can't. No, I mean, you know, him. sometimes you just don't connect with a writer and sometimes you don't connect with a writer at a certain point in your life and then years later you pick it up and think oh Oh, you know I mean I I think reading is really contextual yeah 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 did you read The Art of Fielding that yes yes that that was like my favorite favorite book in the last three or four years that's a great book that book is so good um and that was his debut as well. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a great book. People are waiting with bated breath for his. I know. His next I hope it doesn't one. take him as long as it did. <laughs> that no one pressure. Took him a long time. Did it really? Yeah. Um, Amazon Films has acquired the rights to mm-hmm. produce this. Um, Jill Soloway is producing, mm-hmm. and you are adapting it yourself. I am. Uh, how does that? How, what do you bring? How does that happen? <laughs> Beats me. <laughs> You'll have to have me back in a few months. Yeah, when do you I, start um, knocking it down and tearing um, things out? I don't out know because replacing? we're still we still haven't signed contracts like that takes forever. Yeah, yeah. Our lawyers going back and sure. forth. Um so once we have a signed contract, um I guess I'll I'll get some sense of the timing of it. But Jill Jill is um uh Jill feels very strongly it was a it was a condition of her producing that I adapt the book and she feels very strongly that um, when you take 
the source material away from the source and give it to someone else. Absolutely. It loses some of its strength. Absolutely. And I said no at first, that I wasn't interested in doing that. And then uh, the more I thought about it, the more I thought that it was at least worth a conversation. And when I went in and met with uh, Jill, who I've known for years and who is a dear friend, and her producing partner and um, someone from Amazon Feature Films, and they were really fantastic and just persuaded me that that um, they were the right people to do it and that they were going to they're going to help Jill Jill claims she's going to teach me how to how how to adapt a book into a screenplay and I thought okay well that's a cool thing to know how to do hell yeah what an amazing thing to learn yeah uh, Cynthia Dupree Sweeney has been my guest today she has a book it's called The Nest it is exploding Get on board immediately. Get on the nest train. Um, get on the nest train because it's about to leave the station if it hasn't, and it's an express. Grand Central Station. Exactly. <laughs> when does uh, when when do like paperbacks come out? How long does that take? I think that's that's a uh, next March. It takes about a year. Yeah. Um, congratulations. Thank you. The book is beautiful, and thanks. I can't wait to see what comes next. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Today's show is sponsored by Howl FM. It's like Netflix for podcasts. And only with Howl Premium can you listen to the entire Comedy Bang Bang 2016 live tour. It's sold out everywhere, but with Howl FM Premium, you can hear every single performance the next day. This year, Scott Ackerman, Paul F. Tompkins, Lauren Lapkus, and Neil Campbell, they're all along for the ride, going all across the country and some really fun super surprise guests. Uh, 19 tour stops, 22 performances, live, only on Howl. Uh, so this is through Howl Premium. There's also uh, 42 more Comedy Bang Bang specials, uh, 120 hours of original miniseries and audio documentaries, uh, 90 comedy albums. Howl Premium is jacked, bro. It's $4.99 a month. You can get it on your iPhone, Android, on your computer. Any kind of technology you have, we're going to work it out for you. And with the promo code READING, you get a full month of a free trial. So go to howl.fm, use the promo code READING for a one-month free trial, and get it now. You've been listening to episode 56 of the Reading Aloud podcast. If you like this episode, there are 55 others to check into. Lots of compelling conversations, fun reads of dramatic stuff, of comedic stuff, great interviews. It's all there. Wonderful book clubs of new fiction, uh, classic fiction. Uh, get into the show, subscribe to it on iTunes, and become a part of our show. Send us an email at readingaloudpodcast at gmail.com. Read the next book for the book club, uh, Our Souls at Night by Ken Haruf. Again, it's less than 200 pages. It's a very quick, easy read. Or call us. Give us a call. 702-751-7323. 702-751-READ. Let us know what you thought of the book or what you think of the podcast, or what you just think of Sam. And the calls uh, have been coming in, and they're great. I'm very excited really to great. have them be a part of the next book club, which is coming up in two weeks. So go get Our Souls at Night, read it, and be a part of the podcast. Again, uh, thanks to uh, Jessica Chaffin for introducing me to Cynthia. It was a wonderful conversation about her book, The Nest, which is on the bestseller list right now. Go get it. Put it in your hands at an independent bookstore, 
and let it drip over your brain parts. Uh, reading is fun. Reading is fundamental. My name is Nate Cordry. His name is Sam Kiefer. I host the show. Sam is our producer. We're going to have more live events coming up. Uh, I'm in really fun discussions right now with the LA Times events uh, section about having another live event this summer. Uh, so I, I, once that's put together, uh, I will make sure to let you guys know as soon as possible, but it's going to be fun and sexy. I'm so upset you made that fundamental joke. Reading is fundamental. Uh, again, Sam Kiefer, Nate Cordry, you're listening to Reading Aloud. Thanks so much, and we'll see you with a book club in two weeks. I love you, Nate. I love you too, Sam. Oh, you hit me like a hurricane. Hi, everybody. This is David Gregory, and I want to tell you about my new podcast, The David Gregory Show. It is that easy to remember. And it's me talking to all sorts of really interesting people, getting them off their regular script into deeper, more personal conversations, like Ariana Huffington about parenthood. I think especially for mothers, they take the baby out and they put the guilt in. Or Bravo TV's Andy Cohen on being less afraid. Look, I'm a single gay dude on a late night talk show. If I can't overshare, who can? We'll have a new program every Friday. So go to iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast app and download The David Gregory Show and eavesdrop on really cool conversations. Thanks for listening. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.